Welcome to the New Life Baptist Podcast. Our mission is to love the Great Commandment, live the Great Commission, and lead one more to Jesus Christ. We thank you for listening, and we hope that you are encouraged today as we dive into God's Word. I'll open the Word with you this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. And I love our pastor because he simply opens the Bible and he goes through it week by week, what it says, word for word, and expounds upon the truth of the Word of God. That's where we're at today, picking up where he left off last week, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 17. We'll go through verse 20 today. If you would, stand with me as we read the Word of God, honor the Word of God, and regard it and hold it high. It says in verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, unless until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others through the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of God. Amen, church. Amen. You guys have a seat as we dive into the text today. Reading this passage, there's a great question that unfolds. As part of the new covenant of the church that God has called out, that the Lord has established, what is our relationship as a Christian to the Old Testament? What are we to do with the law? Is it still relevant for our lives? Is it binding on us? And in what ways, if so? What would happen to our world if we were to simply to get rid of the Old Testament and the law entirely? I want to tell you, we live in a world where culturally everyone says the Bible does not fit. They say the Bible is outdated. It's just not with the times. And people want to take parts of the Bible out and take it away and say, you know what? That's just not relevant. That's not who God is. That's not what God intended there. But I love the saving Jesus. But surely this isn't the Jesus I know. These different hot topics we look at, these different things that come up, people want to take parts of those and say that there's no way this could possibly be the God of the Bible that he meant for us. People say the Bible just doesn't fit today's world. We've seen a wave of humanism and people say, just be true to yourself, have your own truth. And can I tell you the truth today, that your heart is deceitful above all things and that God is greater than your emotions and feelings. There is a truth that is the word of God. John MacArthur says it this way. He says, the Bible always fits because it is God's perfect, eternal, and infallible word. It is the standard by which true fit is measured. It is indeed the world that does not fit the Bible, and not because the world has changed, but because the Bible has not changed. Outwardly, the world has changed a great deal since biblical days, But in its basic nature and orientation, the world has always been opposed to God and has never conformed to his word. The world has never fit scripture. It's today that's wrong, not the Bible. And can I tell you today that we hold high the word of God because his word is authority. His word is truth. His word gives a standard by which we are to live our lives. I'll tell you why people don't love the Bible. Because the Bible sets us a backdrop with the law against a holy, perfect God. And when you are face-to-face, nose-to-nose in the Word of God with God Himself, in His perfection, His holiness, and righteousness, 
we see the depravity in the sinfulness of our own souls. So people can't stand the Bible because it calls us up into right living with God and we love our sin. It cuts us in places that we don't want the Lord to go and do operation on. There's things in our life we don't want to give up. There's things in the world that say, hey, this is acceptable. God says it's not. And the Lord confronts us right where we are in our sin and calls us up to something better. People hate the Bible because it shows us the trueness how lost we are. Isaiah says it best. He says, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When you look in the book, you see the King, you see the Lord, you see God Almighty. And when you're face to face with him, you can't help but cry, woe am I, a sinner, a wretched man, who will save me from this body of flesh. I can tell you as a nation, as we drift from the Bible, the entire word of God, we drift from truth, from morality, from standards, from life, and we drift from God himself. The Bible is what God has intended for us to have today, the entire word of God. It is the absolute truth in a world full of subjective truth. It is the truth. It is the authority. It is the standard. And every single bit of it is good for us. Verse 17 says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He says, do not think this. So obviously there was a thinking going on in the group of people as he's sitting there teaching him at the Sermon on the Mount. They're thinking that this person is totally different than any other religious person we've ever met. He talks differently. He thinks differently. He speaks differently. He's not about just religious rituals and rigors and habits. He's about being with the least, the last, and the lost. He causes the blind to see, the lame to walk, and the dead to rise from the grave. This man is a revolutionary. He said he's nothing like anything we've ever seen in the Pharisees and scribes, the religious leaders of that day. So he must be here to overturn the word of God. He must be here to usurp it and undermine the word of God and bring in his new word. Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. To fulfill them means to literally fill them up. Maybe believe he was a revolutionary, but he, in this statement, says he has not come to abolish, to get rid of, or to destroy the Old Testament. He has come because he is that. He is the fulfillment of those things. The people in this day really wanted Jesus to lower the standard. The Pharisees, the scribes, it would look like with all their religious rituals and rigors, right, that they had raised the standards of God, but instead they substituted what God meant for an internal thing to be an external thing. And so he says, I've come to raise them back up, to raise them where they belong. The scribes and Pharisees, here's literally what they did. Quick little lesson, a history lesson for you. As I studied this, I was like, man, this is incredible. What they did is they took the word of God and they said, there's no way we can achieve that, so let's redefine what it is and make up a thousand rules for each one, and then we can be right with God. So, on the commandment that says that you shall not work on the Sabbath, you shall rest, they said, well, what is work? They defined work to be a burden. They said, well, we can't have a burden on the Sabbath, so what is a burden? And they literally went in and they defined and determined, well, here's how much weight a burden is. And so religious men, leaders of that day, sat around on the Sabbath saying, can I lift my child today? 
and hug them? Can I heal a person and save them from dying? Can I wear my wig out? Can I wear my fake leg out, my teeth? They had all these funny little things that they had put in place of the Word of God. This is true. You can go look it up. They put in place of the Word of God, added to it, all this human achievement. All these funny little things. And it wasn't just back in the biblical days, but in early 1992, tenants let three apartments in an Orthodox neighborhood in Israel burn to the ground while they asked a rabbi whether a telephone call to the fire department on the Sabbath violated Jewish law. Observant Jews are forbidden to use the phone on the Sabbath because doing so would break an electrical current, which is considered a form of work. In the half hour it took the rabbi to decide yes, the fire spread to two neighboring apartments. They were so consumed with their own achievements that they had ran the opposite direction from everything God had intended. This is why the Lord says in verse 19, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever does not teach them, and whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The Pharisees were this big show of religious leaders. They puffed themselves up with pride and said, we are good because we didn't do all these hundreds of rules that we came up with. And so Jesus looks at them and says, unless your righteousness exceeds theirs, you won't go into heaven. Could you just imagine all these people sitting here? All they'd ever known is these religious leaders. Like, that was it. Man, that was the crowd, the elite of the elite. Man, that was God's people right there. The closest people to God. The closest thing. All they ever saw was all these religious rituals and, and circumstances and ceremonies and all these things that they had added to this actual true testament of God. And Jesus looks at them and says, you got to be better than them. Whoa. How can a person ever possibly be more righteous than them? There was a group of them who were so righteous in their own human achievement and religion, they would literally close their eyes when they would see a woman at a distance so that they would not have to see her or look upon her with lust, and they would run into walls and houses, and so they called them the blind and the bleeding Pharisees. Silly and ridiculous things that they would come up with. They had religion and human achievement, but if you notice out the entire word of God, what does Jesus call them? You brood of vipers, you whitewashed tomb, you hypocrites. He keeps telling us all the rules and everything they go through, it all accounts for nothing. Can I tell you why? Because it's only the righteousness of God that is right with God. It is only the righteousness of God that is righteous enough to make us righteous before him. And so can you imagine this setting, right? The Sermon on the Mount, here he is, the fulfillment of it all. Every single thing that had ever been spoken and written, here he is in the flesh before them. He says, you can never get in unless you're more righteous than them. But they've got human righteousness. What he has is God's righteousness. And the word says that he became sin so that we might become the what? righteousness of God, the one who was perfect, who was blameless, the fulfillment of everything, says they are never going to be righteous enough. Can I tell you this? You will stand before God one day. You truly will, every single person. You will stand before God one day. And everything that you have done 
keeping the law, going to church, reading your Bible, praying, going to mission trips, being in the choir, being a good person out in the world, apart from Jesus Christ, he will say, be gone from me, I never knew you. You will stand before God and even account for your life. And there is nothing in your human achievement, no matter how good you are, that can make you right with God except God's own son. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Paul would tell us this. He sums up and says in Philippians 3, Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and considered them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Here's the, here's the hanger. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. This is the gospel. What the Pharisees continue to do is say, we can't be good enough in the eyes of God, so we're going to create our own standards of how to live, our own morality, our own truths of what God said we should be. We're going to determine ourselves what is good. And so what they did is they fulfilled all these little bitty things, these hundreds of rules that they came up with. And they said, okay, we must be good with God. They totally missed the law was to show them that they are far from God. They were nothing like God. The law was given to them to show them that they could never live to it. They could never be perfect. I'll tell you this today. Sometimes we get in a place where we say, God, do you really mean that? Are you sure that that's the way I'm supposed to think and believe? Your word says this, but God, are you sure? Can I tell you, the word is absolute, inerrant, infallible, and true. It is good for you, and God has given it to you. I promise you, God loves his word more than you ever will. God is sovereign over this word today. We have every single word, letter, dot. That's why he says nothing's going to pass. Not one iota, not one dot, not one jot, not one twiddle, not one little bitty mark. Nothing will pass away because God intended us to have it today. And how true is this word that has stood the test of time over hundreds of years? There's not one who can stand in opposition to who God is and the truth of his word. David Guzik, he's a pastor, says this. He says, the law sends us to Jesus to be justified because it shows us our inability to please God in ourselves. But after we come to Jesus, here's for you, Christian, he sends us back to the law to learn what? The heart of God for our conduct and sanctification. I mean, the law shows us that we are far from God. One sin was enough to separate Adam and Eve for all eternity from God. And so God had to send Jesus Christ. If you've ever told one single lie in your life, you ever thought one thing that was wrong, if you ever used God's name in vain, if you ever stolen anything, if you ever coveted something, if you ever been greedy, you ever had an idol or something you put in your heart before God? God says you were guilty and you were condemned. But Jesus is the fulfillment of it all. He says, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. I love this because as you guys have been studying the Sermon on the Mount, in his first sermon he says, if you're in my kingdom, this is who you are. This is how you act. And God tell you, read the Beatitudes, and that's not, that's not something easy right? 
It's not easy to live out salt and light. It's not easy to be who God has called us to be. And so we need the word of God to direct us and guide us into that life. I mean, you cannot be who God has called you to be apart from the word of God. How can you know what you're supposed to be? How can you know what you're supposed to say or do or think? How can you possibly anything God has called you to be except knowing who God has called you to be? And it's right here, written for you. It's the whole Bible. God's standard stays and God's standard truly stands. Jesus did not come to tear down the standards of God or do away with them. He came and fulfilled them. When you see the term law and prophets there, just to put it to rest, it means truly the entire Bible. In that day and time, 12 times it was used in the New Testament. He said the law and the prophets, and it meant the entire Old Testament. I love that Jesus is the fulfillment of this, and we say, how? We know the promise of the Messiah that he was to come, but how could he possibly fulfill every single thing of it? Compare Jesus, for example, with Aaron, the high priest. Aaron entered the early tabernacle. Christ entered the heavenly temple. Aaron entered once a year. Christ entered once for all. Aaron entered beyond the veil. Christ rent the veil. Aaron offered many sacrifices. Christ offered one. Aaron offered for his own sin. Christ offered only for our sin. Aaron offered the blood of bulls. He offered his own blood. Aaron was a temporary priest. He is an eternal one. Aaron was fallible. He is infallible. Aaron was changeable. He is unchangeable. Aaron was continual. He was final. Aaron's was imperfect. His was perfect. Aaron's priesthood was insufficient. He is all sufficient. Aaron's priesthood was not all prevailing. He is all prevailing. The example of the priest there. We look at the tabernacle. We see what it pictures. The tabernacle had a door. Christ said, I am the door. It had a brazen altar. He said he was the altar, the ransom for many. It had a basin. He said he would wash and cleanse us. It had lamps. He said he was the light. It had bread. He said he was the bread. It had incense. He said, my prayers ascend for you. It had a veil. He said, the veil is my body. It had a mercy seat. He said, I am the mercy seat. Everything pictured him. Look at the Levitical offerings. There was a burnt offering to speak of the perfection of life. He was that perfection of life. There was a meal offering to speak of dedication. He was that one dedicated wholly to God. There was a peace offering. He is the peace. There was a sin offering. He became sin for us who knew no sin. There was a trespass offering, and he provided for our trespasses. Think of the feasts and the ceremonies of Israel. The Passover. He is our Passover. The unleavened bread, which speaks of a holy walk. He is the one who walked in holiness. The feast of first fruits, he is the one who rose from the dead, the first fruits of them that slept. The feast of Pentecost, he is the one who poured out his spirit. The feast of trumpets, he is one who someday has his angel blow the trumpet and gather the elect from the four corners of the earth. Look at the feast of atonement, he is the one who paid the price of atonement. The feast of tabernacles, which speaks of reunion, he is the one who will gather his people in his house forever. You get the point? Jesus is the fulfillment of the word. He is the word in the flesh. And all things point to him are for him. Here he is sitting on a hill, teaching who knows how many people. And he says, all the law and prophets, I am the fulfillment. I am he. So Jesus has fulfilled all the law. It's not abolished. But what are we to do as Christians who are no longer under the law, but under grace? If you notice this morning, we didn't come in and sacrifice any animals on the altar. We didn't call out people's sin and stone them to death. We didn't go through the Old Testament laws and every single one of them practice. And so what does God have for the new believer? What does God have for the church today? What are we supposed to do with this law since it's still here, since it's not abolished? It has been fulfilled. What are we to do with it? 
There's three parts of the law. There's the moral law, which is the Ten Commandments. And this is the principles of which all mankind is to live. Out of this moral law comes the judicial law. And this is the governance of Israel. It says the judicial law was the legislative law given for the functioning of Israel as a nation. In other words, God said to Israel, I want to set you apart from everybody else. I want you to be different, conduct yourselves different, be governed different. I want you to live different. I want you to do things different. Why? So that you'll be a blessing to all nations so that they will know that there is a God in heaven and that I am he. Gave them a judicial law on how they ought to conduct themselves and govern their behavior. And then he gave them a ceremonial law. This is all the things you see about the worship of God. It deals with how Israel was to deal with the temple ritual and the worship of God. He says only the law, but the prophets. The prophets came after the law, and all they did was spend their entire time saying, hey, get back to the law. You're God's chosen people. God has set this law, this standard. It's unchanging. No matter what happens in the world around you, this is the law that God has set for you. Continually, they would fail in their morals, in their judicial system, and in their ceremonial system. Over and over again, they would fail and fail and fail. And the prophets would say, get back to the standard. Get back to what God has for you, because in that is life. In that is the blessing of God. The moral law was for all men, and it still is for all men today. The judicial law was just for Israel, so it narrows it down. And the ceremonial law was just for Israel's worship of God. But Jesus fulfilled all these things. I love what John MacArthur says. He says he fulfilled the whole Old Testament law by being its fulfillment. Not by what he said so much, not by what he did so much, but by what he was. You say, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is that he didn't come just to rescue the law from rabbinical perversion. And he didn't come just to be a model of righteousness. He came, Jesus, to bring in everlasting righteousness by being the Messiah that the law predicted. You see, in other words, it wasn't what he was as much as what he did and what, who he was. Jesus is the fulfillment of the word. I love that he fulfilled the moral law and the way he lived. He was perfect. He was sinless. He knew no wrong. He revealed the judicial law and the fact that the Israel rejected, they set aside the God of their nation, rejected him and laid that aside. He fulfilled the ceremonial law by pouring out his blood for you and I, taking our sin and shame on the cross and dying in our place and rising again. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here's what John MacArthur would say. The whole judicial system was only good as long as Israel was God's people. And when that was over, the system was over. The ceremonial system was only good until this final sacrifice came. And when it came, then it was done away. And that leaves only one element of God's law abiding still. And what is that? The moral law. The law that undergirded everything and that will be with us until we see him face to face. What does that mean for you today? What does that mean for the Christian? This is good. God has given it to you that you would meditate and soak your life in it. All the self-help books, all the Christian authors, even as good as they are, this is what God intended you to have. To build your life upon reading this truth, studying it and finding out. You know why? The more you get in this, from Genesis to Maps, right? Genesis to Revelation. The more you get in this, the more you see the heart of God. The more you understand who Christ is. The more you understand his love for you, his grace, his mercy, his kindness, his holiness, his righteousness, his justice. Christian, are you devoting your life and giving your life to the word? Is it the authority of the truth that you stand on? Because I want to tell you, we live in a world that is full of all kinds of subjective truth. That means that's my truth. What I believe to be true is true. And we're going to face so many more things in the future. 
We have to be uncompromising as Christians, as the church, to stand on the word of God and say, this is true. No matter what you think, no matter what you believe, no matter what you feel, if God says this is it, this is it. And God doesn't change, so we can't change, church. The gospel saves. The word is good. Worship team, you guys can make your way back up. Here's what it says in the word. A poem that was written. Don't know who the author was, but here's what they say. They say, I find my Lord in the book wherever I chance to look. He's the theme of the Bible, the center and heart of the book. He's the rose of Sharon. He's the lily fair. Wherever I open my Bible, the Lord of the book is there. He at the beginning, he at the book's beginning gave to the earth its form. He is the ark of shelter bearing the brunt of the storm. He is the burning bush of the desert, the budding of Aaron's rod. Wherever I look in the Bible, I see the son of God. The ram upon Mount Moriah, the ladder from earth to sky, the scarlet cord in the window, and the serpent lifted high, the smitten rock in the desert, the shepherd with a staff and crook, the face of my Lord discover wherever I open the book. He is the seed of the woman, the Savior virgin born. He is the son of David of whom men rejected with scorn. His garments of grace and of beauty, the stately Aaron deck, yet he is a priest forever, for he is Melchizedek. Lord of eternal glory, whom John the Apostle saw, light of the golden city, lamb without spot or flaw, bridegroom coming, all midnight for whom the virgins look, wherever I open my Bible, I find my Lord in the book. Christian, I want to call you back to the word. Maybe you're here today and you've neglected this time with the Lord. You've neglected studying his word. Like, I just called you to this because God has it for you today. God intended for, it, for you to be in your lap, in your hands, and for you to hide it in your heart that you would not sin against him. You need this law to live out your life, to be like Christ. Can I tell you, those of you who are lost, what an incredible picture here we see that good is not good enough apart from God. That no matter how good we think we are, we are so, so far from everlasting life. No matter how bad we are, God's able to save. Romans 2.12 says this, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. But all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. I want to tell you once again, you're going to stand before the Lord one day, and what are you going to say? Is it your works? Is it your human achievement? Is it disciplines and duties and religious rituals? Nothing will save you apart from confessing that Jesus Christ is the Lord is the only way by which men can enter heaven. That's why Jesus says in a world of relative things, right, and subjective things, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. I want to encourage you today. Would you call on the name of the Lord? Would you say, God, I confess I'm not good enough. I confess I'm not perfect. I confess I'm a wretched, sinful person, far from you. But Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of your word. He is the sacrifice that came, that died for me on a cross, that rose from the grave, and all the church shouts and celebrates longing for his return. The Bible says if you truly believe in him, confess your sin, repent, that you will be saved. And you can walk the rest of your days knowing whose you are and who you are. Christians, I want to tell you this. The more I get in this word, the more I realize I have to learn. The more I get in this Bible, the more truth that I see, the further away I realize I really am from God. 
Get in the word. Get hungry for it like never before. Would you pray with me this morning? We thank you for listening. Be sure to click the subscribe button on this podcast so you don't miss out on any and all of our future content. We pray you were encouraged by the word of God today. If you feel that the Lord is leading you to make a decision or have questions, you can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or at our website at newlifebaptist.faith.